All right. Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. We are excited to be moving into the the major prophets now in our Bible reading plan. So as we get ready to preach through some of this, we thought we'd introduce you to Isaiah this week. If you're interested in this or the other things that you're curious about, you'll probably find a lot of that stuff on parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. talk about Isaiah, not just the book. Let's talk about the prophet, the prophet from uh, the 8th century BC. Yeah. Uh, during the reign of the Judean kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. But he is also the author of the book, Isaiah. And Isaiah was the son of Amos, we know from chapter 1, verse 1. And he may have been King Amaziah's brother. He uh, grows up in Jerusalem, and Isaiah receives the best education the capital could supply. So he's deeply knowledgeable about people, and he became political and, and religious counselor of the nations, really. And he had access to monarchs, and he seems to have been the historiographer at the Judean court for several reigns, according to Second Chronicles 26 and also chapter 32. You handled historiographer perfectly. Yeah, I had to practice. (laughs) So we are uh, introducing you to Isaiah, and we're doing that actually by pulling from one of the resources that we use occasionally when we're doing some sermon prep. And so we thought we'd introduce you to that resource and show you just kind of how it works if you're working through a Bible dictionary. And then we're basically just kind of reading through it, and then we'll talk about Isaiah for a little bit. So second thing that we, we see about Isaiah is he's got a wife who is referred to as a prophetess, and they have... We know of at least two sons, and the two names are awesome to pronounce. Shir Jashab was one, or Maher Shalel Hashbaz. Can you imagine? That is a mouthful. Can you imagine yelling in the house? <laughs> <laughs> okay. you you got to yeah. come up with a shorter Yell name. Yell that one down the stairs. Yeah. Maher Shalel Hashbaz. You know what would happen to me if that was me and I, and I was calling out to my son? Right. I would have gone through that name and then realized I went to the wrong I, I, I named the wrong kid. So then you had to go through the list the next, you know, and get Sheer Jashab, you know. Yeah. But Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. That, yeah. It's a name, man. Yeah, I, I hope they gave him a nickname. <laughs> I hope so, too. Uh, and when, we, when you start reading in the book, you'll actually read what these names mean, and you'll realize, I don't know that I would name my kid those things. I mean, some of these are... The prophets sometimes name their kids with names like you shall be cut off or you will no longer be on the earth. And you're like, oh, I don't like that name at all. Yeah. How to start a kid's life out wrong. It's weird. So one of the funny things that we see in this article is, uh, you know, what prophets wear. And they say his customary attire was a prophet's clothing. That is sandals and a garment of goat's hair or sackcloth around the loins. It's thorough. That, that is detailed. <laughs> you know, we recently read an article about uh, that was critiquing some of the uh, 
preacher's garments these days and what oh, money yeah. they're spending on things yeah. like that. And The prophets didn't have that problem. No, no, he certainly didn't. Nobody was saying to John the Baptist, are those Yeezys? Yeah. <laughs> $5,000 pair of shoes. No, John the Baptist and Isaiah. They aren't saying that about us either, actually. I've uh, also noticed this, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We aren't making a list of the... <laughs> Uh, overdressed, overly styled pastors. No, that is true. And what's funny is people, even though a lot of people dress this way, they still would have seen the prophets as very bizarre in their way that they dressed. So whether we're talking about Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, you'll notice these guys are weird. They dress strange. They've got weird situations going on. You know, and then you move into the minor prophets for the most part. These folks, just they just are different to the point where the rest of society would have looked at them and said, that's not the dress code we follow. So there's almost this statement being made. So maybe we're doing that same thing. You know, if I buy my things from Goodwill, maybe I'm making a statement about how I feel about dress codes. And maybe such. so, yeah. Anyway, what what did Isaiah work on, Mark? Well, he really worked to reform the social and political wrongs. He, even the highest members of society didn't es- escape his censure, you know. Mm-hmm. He berated soothsayers and denounced the wealthy uh oh, he'd be hard on those fancy dress pe- preachers, but that's he? right. Uh, influential people who ignored the responsibilities of their position. Uh, he exhorted the masses to be obedient rather than indifferent to God's covenant, and, and rebuked kings for their willful and, and their willful actions and their lack of concern. And and I, I think we sometimes don't realize in our culture what a significant thing that is to go and rebuke a king. That's That takes boldness. Um, if you remember in the Easter sermon, I was uh, highlighting how kingdoms and, and dynasties come and go. And, and, and this is very significant that he would have to rebuke kings and there's a great risk in doing that. Yeah, they certainly had respect for prophets, but you you took your life into your own hands if you start going after a king and their behavior because there was a little bit of pride there and a whole lot of power. Yeah, which is a little interesting about Jesus in general. He doesn't operate as the kings that you would expect him to operate, even though he's you know, even though it's been prophesied in Psalm 2 and Psalm 8 and Psalm 110 that he's going to rule with an iron rod and that he's going to be strong. And when you watch Jesus, you're thinking, man, he's not as, I don't want to say he's not powerful because he clearly was a powerful teacher and a powerful person, but people had trouble sometimes with how to handle his humility and how to handle the way he acted, which is interesting. So, yeah. So again, we're, we're pulling this from, this is actually the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible is where we're getting a lot of this info and then some of it's just commentary that we're pulling out. But I wanted to make sure that we, we referenced that. You know, I think one of the things about Isaiah that is so unique is he foretold the coming of the Messiah. A lot of people have talked about uh, Isaiah being a mini Bible. There's 66 chapters in Isaiah and a lot of them are gospel-oriented, and some of them are judgment-oriented. And I've actually seen some breakdowns where, since there's 66 chapters, it's ironic almost that there's 39 chapters that deal mostly with judgment and about 27 chapters that deal with a lot of grace or beauty. And it's interesting then that the New Testament is 27 chapters and the Old Testament is 39. So I think it's interesting, but you know, the fact that Isaiah t- speaks to the coming Messiah so much, he talks about this prince, uh, prince, peaceful prince that you're going to see in chapter 11, the obedient servant in chapter 20, uh, 53, um, Isaiah's 
all over the place with his imagery on this. And he constantly talks about how Jesus, you know, is coming and what he's going to be like and what he's going to ultimately accomplish. And so, you know, even when I say that, I know some Jewish brothers and sisters might say, well, he's not talking about Jesus. Well, he is. He's talking about the Messiah. And we believe that Jesus fulfills that messianic um, thing. His writings also express that a deep awareness of God's majesty and his holiness. You know, the prophet has to go after the Canaan, Canaanite idolatry, but also the religious observances of his own people that were external ceremonies only lacking in sincerity. and They were just not right. He preached the impending judgment on the idolatrous Judeans, declaring that only a righteous remnant would be saved. Again, not popular stuff to, to share. No, and we talked about that a lot. If you remember the Isaiah, the Advent Isaiah the series. series that we did, a, you know, what was that, 2019? Yeah. It feels like forever ago, but it's it, just, just not that long ago. Yeah, and, you know, I think one of the keys about Isaiah is he does this all in the last three decades of the northern kingdom. So, you know, at this point you're, you're, you're noticing the storyline as it's getting close to the end of the Old Testament. But the, the, Israel, the Israelites, the people of Israel, the, the Jews, whatever word you want to use there, they are a united kingdom under Saul and under David and under Solomon, and then they split. And because they split, now you have a northern kingdom that we call Israel, and you have the southern kingdom that we call Judah. So Isaiah lived in Judah, which is a little interesting, but he had a direct conversation with the people of Israel, more so the northern kingdom. So when the northern kingdom is taken over, uh, he's actually being a prophet in the midst of that. It's, it's kind of a unique thing about him. And it was Hezekiah, Ahaz's pious son, who sought to remove Judah from this dangerous situation. When the Assyrians under Sennacherib approached Jerusalem, Isaiah inspired Hezekiah and the Judeans to rely on the Lord for the city's defense. And the angel of the Lord destroyed the Sennacherib army, securing a short period of peace for Hezekiah and the Judeans. Yeah, and, and really Hebrew prophecy reached its pinnacle with, with Isaiah. He is the one who is most greatly esteemed in both the Old and New Testament times. He's the one that uh, it shows his writings show up all over the place. Yeah, they do. Which really then leads to the, one of the things that you're going to notice. If you're going to watch the Bible Project video that goes along with Isaiah, you'll notice in the beginning of the video that there's some theories about Isaiah, and before you freak out a little bit, before you kind of start going, what is going on here? You have to understand a big thing. There's a major shift that happens in Isaiah between chapter 39 and chapter 40. So Isaiah 1 through 39 begins with a number of issues. I'm going to get into this a little bit in the next podcast, so I'm not going to give it all away. But there's a lot of issues with Israel in 1 through 39. And then there's this break at the end of 39 where the Israelites are actually taken away. And the Babylonians come in and visit Jerusalem, and, and Isaiah is just overwhelmed with the fact that, how would you do this, king? This is ridiculous, and that's Hezekiah. But then there's this pause, and really it's a pause of a few hundred years before chapter 40 starts. And in chapter 40, there's a major shift in, in message. There's a major shift in thinking. And part of what's happening in 40 is they're starting to talk about the exile as if it's past tense. Well, if Isaiah is an 8th century prophet, and the exile's finished. The exile is more for the southern kingdom than the northern kingdom. 
And if the southern kingdom doesn't even get exiled until 586 BC, the northern kingdom is exiled in 722 BC. So start doing the math there. There's a 140-year difference between the two. There's no way Isaiah lived that long between the two. And we're not even talking about just the two exiles, which is 722 BC and then 586 BC. We're talking about the return from exile, which doesn't occur until the 400s BC. So part of the struggle with Isaiah is how can you be speaking about it in past tense if it's 300 years later or 400 years later? So what a number of scholars have tried to figure out and answer the question, how do you make sense of this? And it it leads to a number of theories. One of them is that Isaiah was a prophet who was so in touch with God that he's able to even look into the future and write down things that have happened, and he writes them as past tense. That's one possibility. It's a, it, that's where a lot of scholars land, uh, not necessarily the most popular scholars, but there are a number of folks that they just say that's the best way for us to understand this because God's spirit is in the prophet. The prophet sees things, and he's able to do it. That, that's one way of looking at it. The other way to look at it, and, and the Bible Project talks about this briefly in the video, and I'm just giving you a little more here to think about, is that Isaiah actually is composed by a number of individuals who all hold the same prophetic office as the Isaiah that we're talking about in chapter 6. And so what that would mean is that Isaiah maybe has disciples that he has passed the messages on to, and those disciples then preach in the same manner and the same understanding as he does, but with a slightly different voice. And if you do that, you could take all three or four, those are the discussions that people have, is there three Isaiahs or four Isaiahs, those three or four Isaiahs, you could take their three individual or four individual prophetic messages and put them all together, and it makes sense to sort of spell it all out. The other possibility is that Isaiah himself has a group of prophets who are so committed to Isaiah, and they are scribes who are writing down his messages and what he says and that sort of thing, that they just live in this Asiatic world. That's a good word. Yeah, you like that? Uh, that's very scholarly. They they live in this world where they're just constantly thinking about it, talking about it. And as the exile happens, they are beginning to espouse the ideas that Isaiah says as the people are going into exile. And as they do so, they keep writing, keep thinking, keep processing. And as they do that, they eventually get to the spot where the exile is over. And these these prophets, they all agree on something, and these disciples sort of say, this is what Isaiah would have said now, and so they do that. So two and three are similar, but two would mean that there's multiple individuals in the prophetic office. Number three, the, the options that I'm giving you here, would say, no, there's not two or three individuals. It's potentially dozens of individuals who are all very committed to Isaiah. And part of the reason why that third idea is so important and so interesting is when we talk about Luke, and this is why we did Isaiah in Advent, we, we wanted to kind of spell this out. In the book of Luke, every one of them are quoting Isaiah. And whether you're talking about Zechariah the priest, or whether you're talking about Mary, or whether you're talking about the angel even, uh, you know, Anna, Simeon, they're all quoting Isaiah. There's a really good case to be made that people saw what Isaiah was saying, and they understood that it was sort of the fulfillment of the Old Testament moving us into something new that was coming. And so they believed, you know, Jeremiah said that we would have a new, a new commitment with the Lord, a new covenant where God would write his word on our hearts. And so they were so steeped in Isaiah's thinking and Isaiah's way that they are just quoting him all the time. And when stuff starts to happen, they realize, oh, Isaiah is being fulfilled. 
It'd be similar to people today who are always looking for end times prophecy stuff, yep. right? Yep. And they, they're really steeped in it. They know what they're doing and they're ready to go. And when stuff starts happening, they stand up and they're, they're the ones that go, oh, Israel made this peace treaty. That's clearly a fulfillment of Amos. You know, blah, blah, blah. This means this, yeah. Yeah. And the only difference there is the people who are doing that today are trying to follow this category, whereas the people that are following Isaiah definitely know what Isaiah was saying and it, it is fulfilled by Jesus and they know that it's fulfilled by Jesus, whether that's through the Spirit's leading or whatever. Whereas I, I'm not always sure that I trust all the prophecy experts of today. Okay, all that to say. Oh, why not? Yeah, yeah. All that to say, Isaiah. There's a really good case to be made that we have multiple authors here, and there's nothing wrong with that. That is not like a crazy, throw your Bible out and call it all a bunch, you know, craziness or whatever. Almost every one of us sees the change in voice and the change in tense, even for the verbs. Instead of talking about a future exile, they talk about a past tense exile. And the, there's really no issue with that. It's just a question of where do you want to land. And so I thought I'd bring that up as we dive into Isaiah. If you ever have any of those questions, we thought we'd just throw it out to you and let you think it through. Excellent. Excellent.